Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hebbets. Hello, hello, everyone, one and all. Welcome to another episode of Is This Legal? My name is Russell Hebbets, and I am here coming to you from Denver, Colorado, with my partner, Colin McAllen. Say hello, Colin. Hello, everyone. And if, uh, if it's before Memorial Day weekend when you're listening to this, hope you have a great holiday weekend. If it's after, hope you had a great ha- Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, hope you got some good barbecue. I tell you, it is good weather right now here in Denver. We have had, for anyone who's not in Denver, um, we have had some haze from those Cal- uh, Canada wildfires yeah. blowing down our way. Um, so it has been, you haven't been able to see the mountains for the past about week. Yeah, but a little all, smoky around here. Yeah, but all of that has blown on through, so. I can see clearly now that the smoke is gone, as that song used to go, right? Now. I don't think it's smoke, but I like <laughs> I like the way you're thinking. Yeah. So welcome everyone, and I want to give a special shout out to our international listeners. Our list keeps growing. Yeah. Ghana, I'm looking at you. <laughs> Whoever in Ghana who listens to us every week, we appreciate it. We really do, Yeah. Um, so thank you everyone for your support. Today is going to be a fun one. We are going to go back to the Kohlberger triple homicide, quadruple homicide that we talked about back in episode 87. So That's for right. anyone who hasn't listened to that episode, go back and check it out. It was a great episode. And we, if talk- we do say so. <laughs> right. I mean, not- for being honest, I to, mean, come on. To toot my own motor car horn. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's, it was one of our more popular episodes and it was fun and we're going to give everyone an update on Brian Koberger because more has happened on that Moscow, Idaho murder case saga. Right. Right. So what Russ is getting at, the reason why we decided to revisit this is, uh, there have been some legal happenings, uh, pretty recently that I, we think are actually pretty significant. Last time we talked about this case was several months ago and the case was set for a preliminary hearing, which was going to be in June of 2023. It was supposed to start in just a couple of weeks. Right. Well, it turns out that that preliminary hearing is no longer going to take place because, in what Russ and I would consider kind of an unusual turn of events, um, the district attorney who's prosecuting Brian Koberger decided to put this case in front of a grand jury. Uh, a grand jury, we've talked about them on these podcasts, These this is a body of people who listen to the evidence from the prosecutor to decide whether or not there is probable cause for a person to be charged with a crime. Right. All right. They're not the final arbiter. They're not the the final jury who decides guilt or non-guilt. This is simply a charging decision. Um, but you have grand juries and preliminary hearings in a lot of states, it's kind of one or the other, right, Russ? Yeah, a grand jury's job is to determine if there is probable cause, as Colin said, for charges, for an arrest and for charges. So the grand jury takes care of that probable cause determination. Now, a a preliminary hearing, the purpose of a preliminary hearing is to determine if there's probable cause for the case to move forward. So you don't need both. You either have probable cause found with a grand jury or probable cause found at a preliminary 
preliminary hearing. Let's talk about a preliminary hearing, or PH, as we call it in the game, right? Um, let's use that nomenclature. Uh, so a PH is something that really happens in, in really any serious felony case. Uh, here in Colorado, you're entitled to a preliminary hearing if you're facing a mandatory jail sentence, if you're charged with a really serious crime, like a crime of violence, say murder, for example, you're going to get a preliminary hearing. And what a preliminary hearing is, it's a screening tool. It's, it's basically where the judge will conduct a mini trial. Now, the rules of evidence are way relaxed. Uh, the prosecution doesn't have to call every witness who was a witness to the crime. In fact, they typically don't. Right. They usually call the, the uh, principal detective, maybe a couple of crime scene techs. These are people, and, and you don't even need to do that, really. No. And really what you're trying to do is establish judge uh, in the in the light most favorable to the prosecution, uh, viewing the evidence most favorably for the prosecution, is there is there not probable cause for this case to go forward to trial? And you don't get a jury on that. This is not right. a final decision on the case. This is always determined by a judge. So the judge who's trying the case determines, is there enough? That low bar Colin just talked about, do the people have enough evidence to get past that really low bar to say, yeah, there's a chance this crime occurred and we take everything in the light most favorable to the people so any questions get get resolved in favor of the prosecution and if they have just really almost any evidence that a crime occurred, a judge is going to find probable cause. So that's the same thing the grand jury does, right. except it's it's a grand jury instead of a judge. So the question of course becomes, well, why did the prosecutor decide to do this? If they were gearing up toward a preliminary hearing, they had already, remember, Brian Cobra had already been charged by their office directly. He's already in custody. Yeah, he's already in custody. He's can't buy, uh, bond out and you know he's, he was awaiting this preliminary. Why would a judge, or why would, pardon me, why would the district attorney all of a sudden shift courses and say, you know what, we're not going to do a preliminary hearing. We're going to do a grand jury. Russ, let's talk about some of those, uh, so, some of those reasons. What do you think? Well, first of all, a grand jury is secret. Okay, grand juries are impaneled. They are instructed not to discuss what goes on, just like a regular jury, right? right? They're instructed. They can't do independent research. They can't talk to anyone outside of the grand jury group. And they're convened, and the prosecution is the only one who presents evidence. Mm -hmm. Okay, typically the DA is not, or the uh, defense is not involved at all in the grand jury. Yeah, the, the witnesses that are presented by the prosecution. They're not subject to cross-examination. They're not subject to a defense attorney being in the room and saying, well, wait a minute, you say you saw this, but, you know, isn't it possible that that wasn't true? You, you, you can't attack the evidence at all from the defense perspective in a grand jury. Or a DA doesn't have to introduce whole veins of evidence if they don't want to. Right. Like there's like like let's say there's an alternative suspect. Right. The prosecution doesn't even have to bring this up. They don't have to let the grand jury know that that even potentially exists. That's a huge point that Russ just made, which is essentially that the prosecutor and the prosecutor alone is controlling what evidence the grand jury gets to see and what evidence the grand jury doesn't get to see. Now, I personally think it's it's usually within the, it's in the best interest of the prosecutor kind of present the whole case, the whole kit and caboodle, but they don't have to. Right. Um, you know, and, and because they're in secret, you know, these proceedings are in secret, we really don't know what the grand jury is relying on to make their decision. So, Russ, you know, comparing a grand jury for a second to a preliminary hearing, what's the disadvantage 
uh, of doing a preliminary hearing? Why do we think a prosecutor might might have wanted to proceed via grand jury? Well, I think preliminary hearings are advantageous for the defense and dis and, and a disadvantage to the prosecution because of what you said earlier, which is it's like a mini trial. You as the defense attorney, the defense gets to go into any areas of inquiry that they have questions about. So you can ask that lead detective who's on the stand, you can cross-examine him. You have a right to cross-examine him and ask him really anything that is relevant to the case, that's relevant to the probable cause to charge this person. So you can you can use it as a tool to really learn a lot about the case. I mean, the other thing is, this is public. Right. The preliminary hearing, as opposed to the grand jury, happens in a public courtroom. Right. So media, right? Family members, everyone can hear what's going on. So if part of your strategy is a public-facing strategy, you know, a preliminary hearing can be very useful for framing how this prosecution is going with a high-profile case like the Koberger case. Right. One thing we, I think, spent a lot of time talking about back on episode 87 when we were first covering this case, we we really flattered law enforcement on the way that they handled this uh, investigation. As a matter of fact, you know, we were complimentary in terms of how they handled it and how they kept it under wraps. Right. They didn't want a lot of the details of the investigation to be released to the public. I think they, at the, at the time, when they hadn't arrested Koberger yet, they didn't want to spook him. They wanted to surveil him, they wanted to watch him, and they wanted to make him think he wasn't under surveillance. So, right. of course, you have to keep, you know, you have to make sure that you keep a lid on it and uh, make sure evidence doesn't get out. I think we're seeing that carry through through the prosecution. I think the prosecution is saying, you know what, we just don't want to air this whole thing out. We don't. We want to keep our evidence uh, quiet. We're going to save this for trial. Right. Clearly, they're ready for trial because if they impanel the grand jury, once a grand jury reaches an indictment, that means the case is set for arraignment and we have a, a plea of guilty or not guilty, which we're going to talk about in a second, and the case gets set for trial. Russ, we're, that's where we're at right now. All right. So, Colin, I mean, we just talked about how advantageous it is for a prosecution to move forward via grand jury instead of just a complaint, a summons and information, whatever it is in that jurisdiction. So why then in this case, why did they charge him without a grand jury? Why didn't they just go with a grand jury initially? That's a good question. I assume it's, well, we don't know, right? I, 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 have, I have an idea. What's your idea? My idea is they wanted him off the streets. A grand jury takes time. They have to impanel it. They have to present evidence. It takes generally weeks, if not months. And while they're waiting, he's out there. I think that's true. But remember, they waited about seven weeks before they arrested him in the first place. I mean, they, they really, it's not that they took their time with the investigation. I think they were being very thorough with their investigation. Um, it just kind of makes me wonder why didn't they go grand jury at the beginning? Um, but you're right. To your point, that was a good way to make sure he's arrested and out of custody and not hurting anybody else. Right. And, and I think they were, you know, they were waiting on that DNA evidence. All that stuff takes time. Well, I guess let's talk about this. I mean, when we were first opining about this case, of course, obviously this man is innocent until proven guilty. But Russ, you and I were talking about the case. It doesn't look good for him. Mm -mm. I mean, there's a lot of forensic evidence that ties him directly to the scene. Really, what's the prosecution worried about? Why not have a public hearing? I mean, I that's honestly that's one thing I'm kind of scratching my head about. This isn't this doesn't seem to be a case where they were on really relying on really flimsy evidence to tie this guy to the crime. 
Um, again, it makes me wonder what, what else they have that they want to keep secret. We don't know. We're, we're kind of talking in a vacuum, but we don't, we don't know. But what we do know is they're still investigating. They really still are like every week or so kind of a little nugget, nothing, nothing monumental, uh, but a little new nugget comes out saying, Oh, now there's this piece of information. And we'll, we'll get into some of that later in this podcast, further investigation and things about, uh, Brian Koberger. But first let's, let's talk about, so we talked about, he had his pH, his preliminary hearing was set on June 26th. That got vacated. That was canceled with this grand jury indictment, but he was just in court this week, which is why we're doing the podcast. He was in court on the 22nd for arraignment. What happened there, Colin? All right. So an, an arraignment is going to be the first court setting after the grand jury returns an indictment. That's where they say, okay, we have found that there's probable cause for Brian Koberger to be held for the charges of murder, et cetera. He should be charged with these offenses. It's a, it's a charging document. Okay. Right. So by charging him, that means that they turn to the defendant and say, okay, guilty or not guilty. Uh, so we're basically kind of through all of the preliminary procedures of the case. Now we're at a point where we're we're going on a trial track. Now, there are two answers to that question, Russ. <laughs> uh, guilty or not guilty. Um, what did what did Mr. Koberger say when, when asked what his plea would be? He took door number three. He did not answer. Yeah. Okay, so he stood silent. So this is this is something that we don't have in Colorado, but in Idaho, you are allowed to stand silent. And that means you just don't answer. And if a defendant doesn't answer that question that Colin just asked, the judge is allowed to enter a plea of not guilty by default on behalf of the defendant. Whew, I thought you were going to say they enter a plea of guilty by default, <laughs> man. That would that'd be a rough default. <laughs> that, that, All right. That, good luck in prison for the that, rest of your that, life, that, sir. Thank that, you for thank you for being honest. That would dramatically lower the number of stand silence in Idaho. <laughs> I feel I feel like almost no one would stand silent. So, right. Uh, So not guilty enters on his behalf and the case gets set for jury trial. Russ, when are we set for trial? We're set in October. So what that does, that not guilty, that starts speedy trial. Okay. We've talked. What? What's speedy trial, Russ? We haven't talked about that in a while. For a long time, listeners, we have talked about that. We, We actually spent a long time about that around COVID because that was really throwing all the courts into disarray. But speedy trial, basically, the uh, Sixth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution allows every citizen the right to a speedy trial. That means you can't just put someone in jail and let them sit there for five years awaiting trial. Right. Okay, so from that arraignment date, from that entry of not guilty, the state has six months to get Mr. Koberger to trial. And this case was set in October. So that is towards the end of speedy trial on this case. Yeah. Now, of course, the parties either side can move for a continuance if they need more time. We'll see if that ends up, uh, you know, a hard deadline in this case. There's another ticking clock going on here, Russ. Um, So the district attorney has to make a decision, a pretty big decision, I would say. 60 days after arraignment, 60 days after the entry of this not guilty plea, the district attorney has to decide whether or not this is going to be a death penalty case or not. When we recorded episode 87, we hadn't done any research into whether or not Idaho was a death penalty state. Turns out it is. Yep. They have the death penalty. And, you know, we got to think that the district attorney is going to take a good look at a quadruple homicide and decide whether or not this is uh, worth pursuing. 
And that's how death penalty cases work. It's not automatically a death penalty case. This has to be an election by the prosecutor that, yes, we are going to ask for the death penalty in this specific case. Right. Now, we have the parents of one of the victims have been vocal that they want the death penalty on this case. So there is at least some pressure on the DA's office to make that election and say, yes, we're going to move for the death penalty on Mr. Kohlberger. They have 60 days to decide that. Now, now here's a strategic decision on why they might decide to seek the death penalty. It gives them leverage, Russ. It, 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 it could potentially cause the defense, assuming that there is evidence to convict Mr. Koberger, and they're looking at this, it, may, it might make the defense say, okay, they want the death penalty. Maybe we want to just save this man's life. Maybe we take a plea deal where we guarantee a certain amount of years or perhaps life in prison rather than going all the way to the death penalty. Yeah, and I, th- I think the alternative would be life in prison. I mean, that that going back to the Aurora Theater yeah, shootings, the mass right. shooting here in Colorado, um, for that case, the DA at the time, George Brockler, elected to go forward with the death penalty. The public defenders said, we will accept a life imprisonment sentence. Mm-hmm. Just offer us that sentence and we will accept it. And the elected DA said, nope, I'm not willing to put him in jail for the rest of his life with no possibility of parole. I'm going for the death penalty. And that is why that case and the media circus and the whole circus surrounding it went forward. Yeah, and he, just the final bookend on that case, he, he uh, the, Kate, the the Aurora Theater shooter, Holmes, I think Holmes, was his name. Yes. He, he ended up getting life in prison. Uh, yeah. the, the jury d- decided that the death penalty was not appropriate. There yeah. were a lot of mental health issues with that case that the jury, uh, lo- well, that uh, influenced their decision. On yeah, that. It, it ended up at the same spot that the PDs were willing to take the plea. But I think, I mean, I, that decision gives the DA a certain amount of power um, because right. obviously they're saying, look, we're going to prosecute this literally to the full extent of the law and Koberger is going to have to decide, okay, um, do we fight this all the way? Do we go for it? And then it, honestly, that may very well be what happens. We don't even know if there's going to be a plea offer extended in this case. Right. We have no idea. And, and through his attorney, Mr. Koberger has said, I didn't do this and I look forward to being exonerated. Right. So right. that that's where we're at. So we're going to go into some other things. Like there are some really interesting, interesting pieces that have come out, um, like some allegations of other things Mr. Koberger did, like break in, like really bizarre things like set up a fake burglary with a different female student. Allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> right, right. And his parents got subpoenaed, and we're going to go into all of that. But before we do that, we're going to go ahead and take a break to play with you, the listener, our in-house studio game, Is This Legal? I can't wait for that. All right, well, we'll be back on the other side of the break. Stay tuned. All right, Russ, I just got one question for you. One question only. Russell have its X. Esquire. Esquire? Esquire. S, 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 no X. Uh, Are you ready to play Is This Legal? Born ready. And hopefully everyone out there in listener land is ready to play as well. All right. We, as always, go back to our favorite two scafflaws. Jebediah and Cornelius. Thank God. I mean, I'd I'd be disappointed if it were anybody else. So for anyone who has not listened to the end of our podcast, because 
I was speaking to a longtime fan the other day, and she hadn't heard our new outro music. And so listen to the very end. Don't, don't hit stop before the end, because we have a killer, killer song that a listener submitted. And I mean, it's worth a listen. It, it is. really is. It, it's honestly worth a listen every time you listen to this podcast. So never hit stop early again. But going back to the is this legal scenario, this is where we give you a legal scenario, and we ask you, the listener, is that legal? How should it be determined legally? All right. I'm ready. I can't okay. wait. Here we go. Jebediah is in the hot seat again. This time, he's accused of shooting up Cornelius's motocar. His cop car? His cop motocar? Cop motocar. Oh, no. In the middle of the night. Cornelius has very solid evidence that Jebediah did it and is chomping at the bit to convict Jebediah in court. Jebediah pleads straight not guilty and sets the case for trial. Once the trial begins, Jebediah takes the stand in his own defense and tells the jury that he did shoot up the car, but he didn't know what he was doing at the time. He was hearing voices in his head telling him to do it. He says that he has an expert psychologist ready to testify that he was legally insane at the time of the shooting. Will Judge Myrtle allow this testimony? Hmm. All right. Well, I mean, we know Judge Myrtle is all business. I mean, she's... She knows what she's doing. She does, generally. No, you don't want to cross her. Yeah. Stay on her good side. Yeah. Um, hmm. Okay, so we're talking about can can Jebediah introduce evidence of kind of sounds like what you're talking about like a mental illness insanity uh you know to defend himself and say well yeah I did it but here's why I did it right find can, me not guilty can can he do that in the middle of the trial okay well ready for your answer the answer is Myrtle is most likely not going to allow that testimony right. okay and in 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 most of the states in the country, all states, um, all states, but four, I right? Believe. We we would anticipate that Myrtle is not going to allow that testimony. Here's why: this, uh, we'll be honest, this is kind of a trick question. We're going to see if you listen or figured it out. But he pled not guilty. He did not plead not guilty by reason of insanity. Those are two very very different things. Okay, one of them, the latter does allow you to present any evidence that you want showing that you suffered as the defendant from a, a, a mental illness or defect that prevented you from being able to form the culpable mental state, which is like, did you know what you were doing uh, when you committed the crime? All mm-hmm. right. You cannot do that unless you plead not guilty by reason of insanity, NGRI. If you go straight not guilty... There are other defenses that are afforded to you, self-defense, um, you know, general denial, uh, whatever the defense is. But you cannot say, I did it, but I did it because I was mentally ill. And part of the reason, rationale for that is to prevent this thing called trial by ambush, right? You don't want to have the defense coming in and just without the prosecution having any idea that they're about to do it, suddenly you present this totally new, novel, unusual defense, and you have an expert sitting there ready to testify that the prosecution had no idea about. Right. So that prevents the prosecution from getting their own evidence, from having conversations with this guy or gal to, you know, so you can't, you can't do that. You have to notify yeah. the other party of your general defense. Well, to your point, Russ, I mean, the, the reason that courts require this plea to be done up front is 
exactly what you were talking about. You need to give uh, you need to give the defense time to evaluate their own client and provide information to the prosecution. The prosecution gets to use their own state expert to say, "Okay, this guy's saying he's nuts. We're uh, thank you very much, but we're going to use our own expert to make our own determination and maybe offer evidence to the contrary at trial." There's a lot of things that have to happen before we even get to the trial stage for these people to start talking and comparing notes and stuff like that. That's another reason why, again, you said Jebediah is not allowed to just throw that out there like a grenade in the middle of trial. Right. So hopefully you guys got it right. Hopefully you guys are, again, keeping tally and you're like, if you're above 80%, that's, that's a B. So, I mean, like <laughs> if you're up there in the A land, you probably should go to law school. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, Jebediah loses this one. Um, unfortunate course lo- court loss for Jebediah, but, you know, I'm sure he'll get another chance down the road somewhere. Yeah, he probably will, and Cornelius probably deserved to have his car shot up. Right. I mean, let's face it, right? Right. Yeah. So he, he, he needs some comeuppance. <laughs> All right. So that's Is This Legal? We are going to go back to our regularly scheduled program. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back, everyone. Hopefully you enjoyed that episode of Is This Legal? Uh, So right now, we're going to get into some of the kind of juicier, gossipy tidbits about Brian Koberger. Colin, tell us what you've heard. Well, in preparation for this kind of part two of the podcast, I, you know, you and I spent some time trying to see if there's any new updates, any new topics of investigation that we didn't know about when we last recorded that we can share with our listeners. And I I will tell you, it really does kind of par for the course. Um, Law enforcement has really been kind of buttoned up about this whole thing. There really is not a lot of new information out there. But, but I I feel like, you know, one of the buttons went missing. (laughs) (laughs) Is there, is there a little, allow me to explain (laughs) this missing button that Russ is talking about. Is there a little chest, chest showing? (laughs) Here's the case of the missing button. (laughs) Well, there's, there's, there's one, at least one, source we'll call him close to the or her close to the investigation that is making statements to the media so i would i'm going to say there's two little nuggets of gossip that have been widely reported on since the coburger case kind of hit the media um and uh, again many of these media sites just basically say this is attributed to a source close to the investigation but according to a source close to the investigation russ We didn't know at the time when we recorded whether or not there was a motive. We didn't know whether there was a connection between Brian Koberger and the four college students that he murdered. There were three women and one man who were murdered. Uh, At the time, we didn't know, okay, is there a connection? Is it random? We know a little bit more from the source. He claims that Brian Koberger- Or she, because it's anonymous. Yeah. uh, The source claims that Brian Koberger- followed three of the four victims on Instagram and apparently tried to interact with them by sliding into their direct messages and trying to initiate a conversation. Hey, I'm Brian. Let's talk. Apparently these, these, uh, I guess advances were rebuffed or ignored by these girls, but that was something that was reported. Don't know if it's true, but that was reported in the media. We thought we'd bring it up. Russ, there's one more. This is a little bit more far-fetched to me, but uh, according to the Daily Mail, which I think is a UK paper, um, according to a source in the investigation, an ID of one of the victims may have been found in Brian Koberger's car. I mean, was he really that stupid? That's, I mean, he was stupid if, if you believe a lot of the stuff in the affidavit and if this man turns out to be guilty, but 
that would be really, really, really stupid, that, and it's hard for me to imagine that. That one is really hard for me to swallow. Because um, remember, there was a seven-week interval of time between when the murders took place and when Koberger was arrested. Are you really going to tell me that he left that idea in his car for there, seven weeks? There's no chance. That That is, because that that's very different than leaving a sheath at the scene of the crime. That was when, pretty stupid, though, too. That was pretty <laughs> stupid, but that, if he did that, that was in the middle of murders where you know you're you're in it right then and i can see you're panicky you're you're amped up and i can see that happening but he by all accounts was very methodical afterwards like he went and cleaned his car he got bleach well remember he he was found they found surgical gloves they found he was wearing latex gloves when he was arrested in in his parents house right right so it's hard for me to imagine that he left one of the vi- first, what's he doing with the ID? But second, that he left one of the victims' IDs in his car. That's that's hard that's for a me good point. to imagine. Why the heck would you take an ID from? No idea. Someone right. you just murdered. That that's <laughs> so, direct evidence against that, you right there. That one I'm talking. I'm chalking up to the Brits tabloids <laughs> where they're they're trying to sell some rags. Um, that's that's <laughs> doing a little muck raking. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> little muck raking. But, All right. But there's more things that we know. Well, actually, there's one more thing that has been unverified. Um, but this was this was a story that was broken by NBC. They allege that Kohlberger had an acquaintance at um, Washington State. Because remember, he went to Washington State. He was in the graduate program going for his doctorate. Um, so there was another female student at Washington State that he befriended. And then the allegation is, this was only a few weeks before the murders happened, that the allegation is he went into, broke into her apartment and rearranged items so that she knew someone had been in her apartment. She then turned around and nothing was taken, so she didn't report it to the police. But she came to him to say, I'm freaked out. I think someone was in my apartment because things were moved. She, wow. He then said, well, I'm happy to install interior security cameras for you, which he did. And the implication is he knew her Wi-Fi password. He could get access to those internal security cameras. And he was just watching her for the past three, four weeks before he committed allegedly those murders. Weird. No, no what, what is our source of information on that? And, 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 and is that really an active investigation that he's facing at this point? Do we know? My source is NBC. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's all I know. I don't know their source. So I don't know. This this could be all. Yeah. This, this, this is definitely the grain of salt section of our podcast. I mean, look, it's a juicy murder case. Everybody wants to know as much as possible about it. And unfortunately, you know, sometimes we, we don't know quite all the time if we're dealing with accurate information. I, I, will, um, t- I will tell that you. That sounds crazy, but you know, you never know. I tell you, if that is accurate... How chilling for that woman, for that oh, man. female student who basically had that kind of interaction mm. with someone who's accused of a mass murder. Right. Yikes. Yikes, indeed. So there's one more, Colin, and that one more is, it was this week, it was released that Brian Koberger's parents, both his mother and father, have been subpoenaed to testify before a grand jury in Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania? Not Idaho? Not Idaho. Okay. So this is really, I mean, it's very unusual, right? And the parents, I think the mother already testified and the father is scheduled to testify maybe today. 
I may have that backwards, but one of them already testified. The other is scheduled to testify. What are they testifying about, Russ? Good question, uh, because this is a Pennsylvania grand jury. So Pennsylvania has nothing to do with murders in Idaho, is right? There, is there speculation about what this could be about? There is some speculation, Colin. And in fact, I was going through and trying to find out why on earth they were, they were subpoenaed yeah. to testify. I'll say real quick, they tried to quash that subpoena. They tried that to. That means, like, through their attorney, they tried to say, hey, we're not testifying in this. Uh, subpoena is without legal authority. Right. You can't enforce this subpoena and I'm not going to come testify. You, you hear about it all the time in Washington, right? right? <laughs> like, right. like senators are always trying to quash subpoenas right. or not complying with subpoenas. I love that word quash, by the way. That's honestly one of my all time, I would say top five legal words uh, right up there with res judicata and uh, nunc protunc. I, I, yeah. Nunc protunc is a good one. But yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's nice, a nice legal phrase. My, my favorite scintilla. Ah, good There's one. only a scintilla of evidence, a teeniest, tiniest <laughs> bit of evidence. Um, yeah, but so they were unsuccessful in that. They basically tried no saying, quash hey, for you, no quash for you. Like had had it been spouses, you don't you're you're not allowed to force a spouse to testify. Well, our listeners know that against someone else. Yeah. Our listeners do know, do. but that apparently doesn't atten- doesn't extend to parents. children and okay. parents, yep. right? All right. So but, anyway, but we think we think. Right, this is related to a missing person. This is an unsolved missing person case out of Pennsylvania that they think Brian Koberger, well, they're subpoenaing his parents to testify. That's all we know. Right, so we know there's... Let's connect the dots there, shall we? (laughs) Let's let's go ahead and draw that straight line, and it's a straight line. Let's call that spade a spade. I'm going to say they think Brian Koberger (laughs) had something to do with this missing person. God, so so I mean, this web keeps potentially expanding uh, yes. with him. Um, where, where does it lead? So so that's those are all the nuggets we have for you, people. I mean, who knows? As things develop, maybe we'll be doing a Brian Koberger part three. Now, real quick, let's talk one one quick thing. Um, if you are the defense in this case, Russ, we have a trial date for a quadruple homicide now set in October. I mean, we have a trial date basically within a year. Uh, uh, on a potential death penalty case, by the way. Yeah. Um, within six months. Within, right. I mean, it's the, there's a, this is that's a fast timeline. Yes. Uh, do you think that benefits the defense or inhibits the defense? So my personal position on that is I do think that that's a sound defensive strategy. and Keeping the trial moving. moving keeping it moving. Yeah, setting it as quick as possible. And Why? Well, it, the main reason is because this is a this is a complex investigation. There's st- we know that they are still actively investigating here. And I'll tell you one thing that like the Pennsylvania grand jury testimony, that's a grand jury so it's secret, but Pennsylvania has a law on the books that allows the grand jury transcripts to be shared with other law enforcement agencies. Okay. So they get to Idaho gets to get those transcripts from the parents. So they're they're definitely still actively investigating this. And from a defense standpoint, it's very likely the defense very likely is going to be poking holes in the prosecution's case. Right. Like we don't think there's going to be like an alternative suspect. We, defense. we definitely talked about some defenses the first time we did this. I would say uh, you know, another defense that's that's seeming to arise is if I'm the defense attorney, I'm going to say, you know what? These people were zeroed in on Brian Koberger and only Brian Koberger from the very, very beginning. Right. And, you know, it started off with kind of, you know, nebulous evidence in the fact that he was in the area 
but that's really it. And then they just kind of said, okay, he must be the murderer then. They didn't look at anybody else. Right. That's one maybe new thing that we didn't talk about last time yeah. that as a defendant, as a defense attorney, I might be trying to poke holes at. And, and the more you can say as a defense, as a defense attorney, as the defense team, the more you can say is, listen, here's a lead. Here's something that the police had, and, and they, they didn't ignored. follow up. Right. Yeah, they didn't right. follow up on it, right? Whereas if you have a case out a year or two years, they're going to follow up on everything right? and button all that up, and there's not going to be any missing buttons, right? right? <laughs> no, no missing buttons, but in six months, there's probably some missing buttons. There probably are some missing buttons. Now, I agree with you. I, I totally agree. I, I think if I'm the defense team, I don't want further investigation. I think I want this case to get to trial quickly. Um, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think the death penalty decision I'm assuming will kind of throw a wrench in the chain here. If, if there is going to be, I guess, a, a move by the DA to seek the death penalty that might delay things because it honestly, that it, when it's a death penalty case, it becomes a lot bigger. Um, the defense is going to get more aggressive and filing motions and litigating things. And that might cause delays, but we'll see. It, it could. Um, but at this point, you know, you're talking about a quadruple homicide. Like if I'm on the defense, I'm all in. Right. Right. And, and any delay, like we said earlier, either side can ask for continuances. The defense can ask for a continuance for essentially no reason, and they can just waive speedy trial. And what that means is the six months would start from that request. Right. They can say, I waive speedy trial. Now you have six months from today to get me to trial. Mm-hmm. The prosecution can't do that. They need good cause. So they need to fi- have a judge determine that there's a good reason to extend speedy trial, or they can't extend it. All right, Russ, let's end on this. Predictions before we get to our DCOTW. Uh Prediction. Let's not go to whether or not he's going to be convicted yet. Let's save that for later. Let's predict whether or not this case is going to go to trial or if it's going to be resolved by a plea agreement. Do you have any thoughts on that? You know, my just gut thought from what I've seen from Brian Koberger is that he is not going to accept any plea and it's going to go to trial. I think that's right. I I agree. I, I base that on kind of two thoughts. I'm making my own impression of Brian Koberger based on both kind of his affect and the statements he's made to the media. He has stated through his public defender that he expects to be exonerated. This is a man who uh, I think wants his day in court. Uh, also, I don't think any, I mean, okay, okay. Life in prison versus we're going to execute you. Are either of those good options? I think he might just take his chances with the jury and say, let's see what happens. And, and maybe he gets an appellate issue that he can uh, seize on later. Right. I and think it just, probably makes sense for him to go to trial and just let the chips fall where they may. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of incentive maybe to take a plea agreement on this yeah. case. You said real quick, you said public defender. Does he have a private def- private counsel or public defender? Do you know? I'm pretty sure it's a public defender. Huh, okay. I, I, I didn't well, know that. I should say this. I, I know that he was represented by the public defender initially okay because the public defender made a lot of statements on his behalf but i don't know if that's changed gotcha okay so all right well let's uh, move on to something i mean we're talking about grizzly quadruple homicide i think we need to lighten the mood a little bit russ i think we need to take a little bit of a load off let's get to some dumb criminals i Colin. would love to do that it is time for <laughs> A single U just isn't enough. No, dubbed you. Yeah. So, um, 
Russ, boy, we, we really love making fun of other locations. I mean, we've talked, I mean, we could devote mm-hmm. a whole podcast to Florida defense, right? <laughs> we've, we've gone to Florida a lot. So to be fair, we're going to come right back here to River City. We're, we're going to take a Colorado case, a DCOTW from uh, our own stopping ground. From, from, from the Sunshine State? <laughs> Denver, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Here it is. A Colorado man was driving through Springfield, Colorado. Yeah. Did you, did you know that we have a Springfield, Colorado? I, I didn't. That was news to me. I'm a native here. Um, so, yeah, this, the Simpsons. That's, that's, maybe maybe the Simpsons exist in Colorado, that, Russ. That is why the Simpsons chose that name. So, Colorado man's driving through Springfield, Colorado at 11.30 p.m. one night. A Springfield police officer, they've got their own PD, uh, saw this man traveling in a 52 miles per hour in a 30 mile per hour zone. An officer pulls the driver over and starts approaching the vehicle. Then the cop sees something weird, Russ. The driver of the car switches places with his dog, who is in the passenger seat. The driver then exits the car on the passenger side and tells the officer immediately that he wasn't driving the car. (laughs) All of this, all of this is in the presence of the officer. The switch, everything, he was standing five feet behind the vehicle. The officer saw clear signs of intoxication from this driver, and when he asked the driver about what he had to drink that night, the driver immediately flees on foot. (laughs) He gets 20 yards before being apprehended and and arrested on two active warrants, as well as the new charges of DUI, speeding, and resisting arrest. Um, police then, of course, uh, let the dog drive his car home, apologizing right. <laughs> for the inconvenience. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been embarrassing if the dog was DUI too. No, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Russ, he was protecting his dog. The dog was driving drunk, and oh. so he was. Yeah, he just switched uh, the, that wrong the wrong place. They mixed it all switches, up, right? Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> So um, that's our DCOTW. This is a guy who tried to blame a DUI on, on his a dog. dog. On a I mean, dog. that's that's not loyal, is it? I mean, here no. the this poor dog is right by the guy's side all the way. This is supposed to be man's best friend. I mean, this uh, throw the it. dog under the bus. I mean, talk about talk about man's best friend. This dog's not going to rat him out. This dog's no. not going to talk. Right. They can't <laughs> subpoena him. And, and look, even if they did subpoena the dog, I'm guessing the testimony might be a little unreliable. Dude, if they did testify the dog, they'd definitely be barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> you took my joke, you thief. Man. <laughs> well, I couldn't have said it better myself. Uh, well, you know, we, ha- we have to drop at least one uh, bad pun. Russ, I'm glad it was you this time. Um, what do we give our DCOT? You know, this is where, of course, we, we rate the stupidity of our offender with our knucklehead awards. Um, Scale of one to five. How many knuckleheads does we uh, we, we need a name for this guy? Uh, all I know is he's from Colorado. We, let's you know we have to make something up here. What's a good Colorado name? How Chad? about uh, Brody? No, oh, Brody's. Good it's got to be like a snowboarder name, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Brody Savantes. We'll give him a little Latin flair. All I right, don't know. that sounds fine to me. Okay, what do we get, Brody? Um, I'm going to go ahead and give Brody. The full five. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, he's creative. Like, I mean, I'd, I'd give him points on creativity, but as far as being like the chances of this working were 0%, like zero, there's no, I don't care what multiverse you're in. This is never going to work. I, I don't care if you have a multiverse with talking dogs, it's still not going to work. 
<laughs> I wonder what the dog was. I, I kind of wonder what happened to the dog. Like, I hope they didn't take him to the pound. I hope. No, uh, I'm sure they, they cut him loose with someone who loves him. I think what happens, it, the dog does go to the pound to be collected. Like, not to be adopted, not to be euthanized. It just goes to the pound. Maybe one of these kind Springfield police officers adopted the dog, and now uh, it's just living its best life. You know, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's trained to become a canine. I mean, let me really quickly interject. That's this. like the aspiration for a dog, right? They all want to be like McGruff the crime dog. Like, isn't that like top tier? Like, that's that's when you're just making it as a dog. That's, that's, <laughs> you're when you're when you're wearing the trench coat and the and the fedora. Take a bite out of crime, <laughs> McGruff. <laughs> <laughs> Let me, because this is probably never going to come up again, and I have a really short story about a dog being seized after the person was... Uh, Does it have a happy ending, at least? It, it, it has a funny ending. <laughs> so this is a guy I know. So he is at, I think, a, a Vail Oktoberfest, and uh, he gets arrested. And somehow his dog gets impounded. I'm, I don't know the whole story, but his dog gets impounded, and goes to the shelter in Vail. Uh-huh. He is hammered. He right. gets released, goes home. He then wants his dog. His dog's not there. So he goes and breaks into the Vail <laughs> animal shelter. He crawls in through a dog door. He goes, he finds his dog. He frees his dog, takes his dog home, and turns out when the animal shelter people get there they realize the dog's missing so they say oh who's the owner of this dog that's missing the only dog that was released and they go to his house and his dog barks to greet them and they charge him with felony breaking and entering (laughs) so the dog did rat him out on that one (laughs) on that one the dog did (sighs) all right sorry so knuckleheads i'm at five that's two dcotws for the price of one yeah exactly all right yeah i'll give a five too um you know geez don't blame your dog come on yeah. Um, all right. Well, that's enough for us. Um, we're going to repeat our call out that we made last episode. This is episode 97. We are closing in on 100. And we are calling out our listeners look, um, do you like our show? Do you mind sending us a quick voice memo, letting us know what you think? Do you have an illustration, say, perhaps of Jebediah and Cornelius that you'd like to share us? Maybe we'll put on a t-shirt. You got a song you'd like to contribute uh, to us? You know, would, would you like to let us know what you think of our show as we close in on 100 episodes? We would love to hear it. We do appreciate those of you who have written to us uh, so far. We do uh, really enjoy feedback from our listeners. It's nice to know that our message is getting out there and that you actually enjoy listening to us two idiots talk. So please let us know what you think um, and uh, give us some feedback. Let us know if there's a case you'd like us to take a look at and cover on this podcast. That's what we do, Russ. Do you have any? I, I agree with all that. Oh, okay, great. All right, well, let's, uh, <laughs> let's go ahead and ring off then. Uh, we'll, <laughs> you can find us, uh, email us at denvercrimelaw at gmail.com, all one word. You can find us at Is This Legal Pod on Twitter. Habits McCallan is our Facebook. Russ, anything else? No, enjoy our outro song. See you later. Johnny Law looked at me, said, Jebediah. Can't you see Them things you're doing Just ain't right Going around this town Stirring up a fright
can run Won't get far Driving in Your motor car Look on Ilias Right in the eye Said you ain't got proof I ain't the guy Said I may not wear no crown upon my head I may not be regal